Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Gold podcast, the best place in the entire world, including, and this is critical, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Laura Vanderkam. Who's that? I'm so glad you asked. Laura is the author of the new time management book, Tranquility by Tuesday. Love that title. Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. She's also the author of several other books, including Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and my favorite, 168 Hours. She's the host of the Before Breakfast podcast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside of Philadelphia with her husband and five children, and she blogs at lauravandercam.com. That's V-A-N-D-E-R-K-A-M.com. And she is just like me. She loves goals. Her life is littered with cool goals. She's always testing, prodding, trying different things. And then she writes amazing books about them. So this conversation is really fun. But first, a quick message about the sponsor of today's episode. Every year, I set crazy big goals. And every year, there's one productivity tool that I use to help me reach them the Finish Calendar. I've been using it for over a decade, and it's helped me crush goals like running a thousand miles in a year, growing my business, and writing a New York Times bestselling book. Thousands of people have bought them over the years too. Why? Because it works. It's not magic, it's science. Study after study has shown how important tracking your year is. But my favorite came from the University of Kostanz in Germany. They showed that when you track when and where you're going to work on something, you double your chances of success. Let me say that again. You double your chances of success. This calendar is massive. It's beautiful, it's motivational, and it comes in paper or dry erase. On top of all the other amazing features, you can choose to display it vertically or horizontally because this bad boy is also double-sided. If you've got a big goal or a lot of big goals, grab a Finish Calendar today at finishcalendar.com. Once again, that's finishcalendar.com. All right, let's jump into my interview with Laura. All right, well, I am excited about today because we've passed each other kind of in literary halls and events, and we've tweeted before, but this is our first time we ever actually get to meet. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I want to jump in right away and say, you don't love Christmas letters that people send, like (laughs) holiday letters. You have an opinion about that. I'd love you to share your opinion. Uh, Well... I mean, you know, people do it less now. Now it's all about the photo card, right? But uh, when I first started writing, it was sort of a thing that people would send these long letters about their family's accomplishments, uh, what they had done in the year. Some people call them the family resume. And uh, it's it's kind of a funny genre of literature. I mean, just how over the top it can be, like how awesome you can make your family sound and mm-hmm. by comparison, how less awesome everyone else must be. Um, but now social media does that. So we don't even need the Christmas letter to do it anymore. Um, but, you know, they always served a purpose, which is that it hones your thoughts on what you did over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. Like writing these letters lets people think about, well, what actually mattered in the course of the year? Of all the things that happened, all the things we did, like, what actually mattered that I want to tell people about? And, you know, it's actually kind of a good thing to do looking forward. Um, So one thing I suggest people do is think about writing a family holiday letter for next year. 
you know? Oh, we're, that's great. Yeah, we're talking yeah. here in 2022. Like, think about what you would like to say in a family holiday letter in 2023. Like, if it was an amazing year for your family, like, mm-hmm. what would you be talking about? What would you guys have done? And then once you know that, you've got some pretty good marching orders for the next 12 months. I love that reframe. And I, my rule has always been, if if your family letter has a staple, I'm out. Like, <laughs> Sorry, like, I'm only reading the last, first page. I'm one of those yeah. people at the newspaper. I don't want to flip over. Like, it's got to be above the fold, no. you know? <laughs> Unless you're like Elon Musk, like the seventh grade science fair, not really, doesn't need a whole paragraph. No, like, I, no. The hamsters, the life that you're... But I'm interested, were you always goal-focused? Were you always think about what you want to accomplish? Like, were you the kind of kid that like seven had a, a weekly planner or is it something you've grown into as you've grown up? I think looking back, I've always been reasonably goal focused. I did a couple of things growing up, like, you know, running a summer camp um, that I recognize in retrospect was sort of an entrepreneurial kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Or um, It was your own camp? Yeah, with a friend. We, we ran a summer okay. camp together in our backyards. Uh, but, you know, just it, I think it honed for me when... Um, I switched high schools at one point in in my young career, <laughs> and uh, the first one had been relatively easy. Um, it was just I, for whatever reason I hadn't had to work as hard to to get good grades, and then I switched to a high school that was a lot more challenging, a lot more demanding. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, there needs to be a process for this." Yeah. <laughs> you know, my yeah. first semester grades are are just total crap, and uh, you know, figure out like, oh. If you want to do well in a class, you need to figure out what material is going to be covered and learn that material. And if you've got a paper, you work backwards and, you know, write it at different points in there. And and so that really honed that experience for me. And then I was able to kind of take that forward to everything else you want to try in life. You know, you want to write a book. Well, here's the deadline. Here's what needs to happen before that. Here are the steps along the way. And when you do that, as you know, you, you generally do eventually finish stuff. So you started kind of in high school. When did it ramp up? Like, when did you start to go? Because I think a lot of people will look at the 168 hours, which you wrote a great book about that, about how to kind of think about your time, manage your time. When did you really start to go, okay, well, time is the stuff life is made of. And if I get better at managing that stuff or working with that or being deliberate about that, I get to do better things. Was that your mid-20s? Was it late 20s? When Uh, did that happen? Yeah, probably late 20s. I mean, like I said, everything before that, you have to figure out goals and figure out time. But for the thing many people experience is when you're only answering for yourself um, and you're not responsible for lots of other people, mm-hmm. then then time is maybe not that hard um, to, to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, But when you start taking on, you know, people have more responsibilities at work. If they're managing big teams, suddenly time is a very different matter. If you have a family, which is what happened in my case, um, that, you know, suddenly it's not just your time. You're managing your time with accountability to lots of other stakeholders there, as we might say in the corporate world, but mm-hmm. can be true in the family world as well. Um, and so when that happened in, in my 20s, I definitely needed to figure out time on an entirely new dimension. And that is what led me to write 168 hours, to figure mm-hmm. out how in 168 hours I could be, you know, the parent I wanted to be, the wife I wanted to be, the, you know, person I wanted to be with my mm-hmm. own interests and also have these ambitious professional goals as well. And, you know, the good news is, as I still do think it all fits it all fits. There's 168 hours in a week. It's not a small amount. We have to be creative, but it's not a small amount. 
What was one of the surprises you learned when, when working on that project? When you, and maybe it was, wow, we have more time than I thought, or wow, some stupid stuff gets my time. What surprised you as you kind of looked under the hood of uh, the full week? Well, one of the first surprises is that there are 168 hours in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, people say 24-7 all the time. I think very few people ever multiply that through. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not a number yeah. that anyone knows. Like, you say 168, people are like, what is that? But if you said 24, yeah. everyone knows what that is. But yeah, 24-7, yeah. you know what that is. But it turns mm-hmm. out that 24 times 7 is 168 hours. Um, and another thing with that, which is also just a simple math problem, is to figure out how small a proportion of time is actually occupied by some of the things that we think of as being huge. So, for instance, if you work a normal full-time job, let's say 40 hours a week, when we say full time, we're like, well, that sounds like the full amount of my time, right? I mean, it's right there in the name. Um, but 40 hours a week is less than a quarter of 168 hours. And obviously, you're sleeping for some chunk of that, too. But mm-hmm. if you sleep 56 hours a week, which is eight times seven, um, and work 40 hours a week, you have 72 hours for other things, which, again, is a fair amount of time. It's a ton. It's a ton. I mean, we might need to be creative about what we do with it. And there are other responsibilities with it. You may have to get yourself to your job. You probably have other people you need to take mm-hmm. care of in those 72 hours. But even so, it's it's not a tiny amount of time if we're smart with what we do with it. And I, I love the the stat that, or the fact. Stat sounds so corporate, although you call kids stakeholders. So, I <laughs> so yeah, I did it overlap. first. It's yeah, right. with overlap. You have five kids. So it's not that – because I think sometimes – the pushback to time management is, well, you don't know my life or you don't know what I have going on. But I don't think anybody who has a full, like you could suit an entire basketball team. Like that's a full team would say, well, you don't have a lot of, you know, demands or commitments to your time. You do. So how do you juggle in a normal week? What are some of your juggling kind of secrets or techniques that have been helpful to you? <laughs> well, it's, it's a long list of things I have attempted over the years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I would say the core of what I do is, um, and I, I think of this, this image that I used to like to go to the Ringling Brothers Circus, um, you know, mm. not, not as cool a thing anymore. I know we've moved on from it being a cool thing, but uh you know, I'd like to be in the front row and see the acts. And when people say life is a circus, I feel like that's a good metaphor, but they're thinking of it the wrong way. People say life is a circus, they think it's chaotic. But there's nothing really chaotic about a circus. Like everyone gets where they're supposed to go at exactly the right time. No one is ever going to be shot out of a cannon at the wrong moment. Like it's going to happen exactly (laughs) when it's supposed to happen and exactly the way it's supposed to. There are a lot of moving parts, but everything happens in a very orderly fashion. Um, and so I think of the, the crux of planning my circus on Fridays every week. Mm-hmm. I sit down. I look at what is coming up over the next week. I ask myself, what is most important for me to do? Mm-hmm. Um, professionally, of course, but, you know, everyone thinks about that. But then, you know, what is important in my relationships? Like with my kids, what are the things that really need to happen this week or that I really want to see happen this week? And then, you know, for myself as well, what would be most important if there's things within my hobbies or volunteer work that I do, you know, what I want to focus on in the course of the week. And I make sure those have a spot. Um, And then I look at everything else, all the other things that are moving around in this three ring circus and, you know, ask like what logistics need to happen for them to, you know, have a chance of going right. Um, Do we need extra support? Does somebody need to move? Like, is there something that um, I need to 
you know, what all these different logistical matters, or do I see a problem coming up that we are going to need to solve? But I find when you do this and, and then, you know, execute on the plan as much as possible, things do seem to more or less keep moving. And we're, we're not surprised about when anyone is being shot out of the cannon. It's, you know, usually there roughly in the plan. Well, and it's interesting. I've never thought about a circus that way. And it's not that you're going to have an elephant on a tightrope. Like that's not the role they're going to do. So everything's happening at the right time in the right role in the right sequence. That's a, that's a really interesting kind of reframe of that. You strike me as the type of person who does like productivity or high performance experiments. So you try, you go, okay, let me try this in my life for 30 days or whatever amount of time, see if it works, see if it doesn't help. And then, you know, test it over time, eventually maybe even add it to a book. So I'm curious, what's an experiment you tried that didn't work? And for me, one was like, I got to drink a gallon of water every day. Like I kept reading online, like if you drink water, your skin glows and you can, you can levitate like six inches and your whole life is different. All it takes is water. So for like two weeks, I tried drinking a gallon of water and it I hated it. Like it was too much water. You're and just it, in the bathroom it, all the time is sort of my it experience. It dominated my life. <laughs> yes. It dominated my life. So what's up productivity, time management, something where you tried it and you're like, yeah, no, this is not, this is not helpful. I think sometimes it's, it's really just pursuing a goal that you realize you don't actually care about. So I yeah. had this idea that I was like going to try to get faster as a runner. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I like to run. It's a great form of exercise. Like, you know, you can Mm -hmm. think you get out in fresh air. It's something anyone can do. It doesn't take much equipment. So all great, wonderful things from a productivity perspective. I've loved to run for many years, but I was like, okay, I need to get faster. And so I tried doing these various like speed workouts and like throwing myself against these time goals. And it just like took all the fun out of it. Like, I don't want to run anymore. Like, I'll find something else to do with with my time. I just found myself resisting it to a a great degree. Um, And, you know, it's possible I got a little bit faster in the course of failing at my actual time goal. Um, But I realized it, it wasn't the thing I wanted to do. Like, that the reason I run is to clear my head, to get outside, to boost my mood. Um, if I was pursuing it to get fast or to, I don't know, look like a swimsuit model, like neither of those things are actually going to happen. So I should just mm-hmm. let go of those things and do it for the reasons that I actually want to. And then you devote, you know, the, you start looking for time to devote to it when it's something that you actually want to do. Versus avoiding it and losing the joy of it. Exactly. To get faster for what? That's the other thing. I think it's <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would save go, time, right? I'm a productivity person. <laughs> yeah, but like, then you go, oh, I, I cut a minute off of each mile in my seven-mile run. I save seven minutes. Like, I can't wait to reinvest these yeah, in my day. I'm just like, tired at the end of it, so I have to sit on my butt for seven yeah, more yeah, minutes exactly. at the end of it because I'm too tired to do anything else. So, yeah, it didn't really it's help. so funny because I always say, like, I'm, I consider myself a goal nerd because I'm always trying things like that. And so – Whenever I read somebody else's book where I can get that sense of like, oh, they're looking at life the same way or they're trying to, is there a different way to do this? It's always, it's always really fun. So your new book is titled Tranquility by Tuesday. Great title, by the way. Love that. Um, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters. If you put that book aside for a second, what's the book you're proudest of? Like, so we always, people always go, what's your best book? As if you'd ever go, well, not the current one. Like, you got to say <laughs> the like, current you one. You shouldn't duh. read the current one. <laughs> Just yeah, let's duh, go duh, to the yeah, back list. Save your time. It's a B plus. It's a solid B. Like, so that's a silly question. But I'm curious, like, as you look at, 
your, you know, all the books you've written, what's one that you're like, you know what, this stands out to me. And maybe it was the experience of writing it, the research I did, how it changed my life first. And I get to see other people's lives change. What's a book that stands out to you in your collection? Yeah. So I'm not sure I have favorite books because that'd be somewhat like having favorite children. Sure. Um, but one of the books that I think has, is going to have staying power just because of what it was, um, is a book called I Know How She Does It. Um, and it was looking specifically at women. Um, and women who had big careers and who are also raising families. And I had people in that demographic track their time for a week. So I could look at all 168 hours of what their lives truly looked like. So not just what they thought they looked like or what anyone else said they looked like, but what they were actually doing during the course of a fairly normal 168 hours. And so then I could look at patterns, I could look at numbers, I could, um, you know, see all those things that were separate from this kind of cultural narrative we have about the, you know, executive women who have kids who must be going crazy, right? Like that whole movie, I don't know how she does it, where she was like, you know, harried and running around and distressing pies to make them look homemade for the bake sale or whatever it else is she was supposed to be doing. And, you know, so many women do successfully combine careers and families and I feel like unless you're, you know, the CEO of some major company, people often just don't tell these stories. Like, what are they doing? What does their lives look like? You tend to get these sort of horror stories of when everything has gone wrong and people need to dial down and scale back and opt out and talk about how no one can have it all. So I wanted to talk about people who did quietly have it all. And mm -hmm. I found that their lives looked pretty good. I mean, people earned Good salaries. Everyone in the study earned six figures a year. So that was my cutoff okay. for the job, right? That's to show that they had a demanding job. People worked, you know, over 40 hours, but it wasn't much over 40 hours. It was like 44 hours a week. So it wasn't yeah. around the clock. Um, mm. People slept. Like there's the stereotype that if you're trying to build a big career and raise a family, you'll just never sleep. And that wasn't true. People slept 54 hours a week, which is 7.7 .7 hours per day on average. Um, mm. and, and so it's like, I think it has the potential, if enough people read it, to kind of change that narrative that that is out there. And so that was my goal with it. And hopefully people who read it um, got that. And I've certainly heard from people who, um, you know, especially like younger women who are like, well, I was wondering, you know, am I going to be able to do everything I want to do? And I read this book and I realized my husband and I can start a family and it's not going to you know, ruin these career ambitions I have. Or, mm -hmm. you know, somebody said, well, I always want a family and I, you know, have a I'm pregnant and I'm excited about it, but I was worried I wasn't going to be able to go to back to work. And now I'm realizing I'm going to make it work. Like I love both. Mm -hmm. I can do both. And those stories really make me feel great. I, I bet. I bet that's, and you're right. That, that busts the narrative, especially the sleep narrative that to do a bunch of things means you have to sleep 14 minutes a day and you, you know, you, it's all coffee or it's all, you know, you're drinking some drink called bang that's cotton candy flavored. And you're just like, don't, don't drink for, the bang. It's really not necessary. This is for 16 year olds. What's your favorite part of writing a book? What's your least favorite part? So my favorite part is probably that point where I have a rough draft and mm -hmm. I am making it better. Like I'm in there on maybe, you know, the first or second edit um, that I'm going mm -hmm. through there. And it's, it's noticeably getting better every time yeah. I'm touching it. Cause of course the first draft is complete crap, which is, you yeah. know, the upside of starting with a very rough draft is that, you know, you're making it better really fast, but it's very satisfying to have that experience of spending hours getting absorbed in a manuscript and seeing it improve in front of your eyes and coming more to what you mean to be saying. So I find that incredibly gratifying. Um, 
you know, I think the least exciting part for me is, ah, gotta, I mean, you know, I like it. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep writing books. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it, it's hard to write rough drafts. I would say yeah. that I'm, I do it, but I, I often give myself, you know, when I wrote Tranquility by Tuesday, I created a writing timeline over the summer of 2021. And I, for each chapter, I would just bang out a rough draft on Monday and Tuesday of a week. And it would just be like straight cutting and pasting from notes. I mean, just like this paragraph will go roughly here. Mm -hmm. There is a transition happening here. <laughs> You know, yeah. things like that would be in there. But then and Wednesday and Thursday, you know, my gift to myself, if I did this Monday and Tuesday, is that Wednesday and Thursday, I could go in and actually do the stuff I wanted to do, right? Like I could actually mm -hmm. make it look a lot better and have something ideally readable by the end of, of Thursday. So that it was a balance of the part I didn't like as much and the part I did. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's the, some of the detail stuff I don't enjoy. Like at the end, I'm at the end of a manuscript right now and I'm doing all the detailed where we've got 56 real people's stories Ooh, yeah. in there. And so double checkings, triple checking, being like, does she want to be called Veronica or Ronnie? Does she live in Pella, Iowa or Pella, Idaho? Like the detail stuff to me, is just one of those where like, I don't know, I'm sure there's people that are more tacticians that way that are like, oh, I love that. But for me, that's one of those parts where I'm just like, I want to get it right. And so, and it's so easy to make stupid errors. Oh, I totally know. I like, you know, misspelled someone's name that I finally caught. But it's like, I, I've been talking to her for years. I've been emailing her for years. Why did I spell her name wrong? Like, go figure. Oh, yeah. I've had a typo. <laughs> I mean, you have, I've had a typo in every book I've written where one time I said, this football player, T.O., caught a thousand touchdowns in his career. He caught a hundred. So thousands I a was lot. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, well, he would be the greatest player that ever played by a factor of like nine and a half. I mean, nobody and whoever edited it wasn't a sports fan, they so they were like, eh, "Yeah, no. thousand, not sure. sure. What, a, well, what a great put guy. ten thousand in there." <laughs> yeah, and so now, so for years, any sports fan that read it would be like, "Hey." Uh, idiot. That was, and I was like, you're right. I was wrong on that. Like, there, but there's nobody going to reprint it for, for that. that. Like yeah. if I, I call up the publisher and I was like, Hey, stop the presses. I, I made do a typo. About that. Yeah. I need just to change There's that. maybe fewer football fans reading that book. Than yeah. Maybe less than my, less than my demographic. So let's jump into the book. There's nine rules you talk about, but I want to focus on one, four, and eight. Okay. And I'm not going to ask you to, to name them. I, I've had people say that to me before. Like, It'll be a list of eleven. They're like, why don't you go in order? I'm like, let's let's, <laughs> let's go one by like let's pump <laughs> Let the brakes a little bit. Let me pull out my notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I love number one: give yourself a bedtime, um, which fits in with what you just said about people going. I never get to sleep. I never get to sleep. Do you think complaining about sleep has become almost like a badge of honor in the same way that people say they're they're stressed or they're busy? I'm busy all the time, and we like to say we don't get enough sleep. Yeah, I think it is because if you have no time for sleep. It's because the demand for all your other hours must be so high, which I guess is a yeah. nice way of saying, look at how important I am, right? Yeah. Um, how put upon I am or whatever it is that you're, you're wanting to highlight. 
But, you know, the truth is many very successful people do, in fact, sleep. I, I don't know why as a culture we are so obsessed with whatever CEO. I keep reading these stories, like some CEO, some entrepreneur who sleeps four hours a night with the light on so they can get right back up to do whatever it is they're doing. It's just like, why? Like, why Why are these stories? I guess people click on them. That's why they're out there. But That sounds miserable. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds miserable. miserable. <laughs> like, that's how vampires sleep. Vampires. Well, you know, I, maybe they're into that. I, I don't know. But most normal people, including most very successful people do in fact sleep. Um, and I think, you know, giving yourself a bedtime has a couple of upsides. I mean, most adults, at least like during the week, you can't really change what time you wake up. You have to wake up at a certain time for your work or your family responsibilities. Yeah. So the only variable that can change is the time you go to bed the night before. Um, and so if you know how much sleep you need, roughly, um, most adults, it's going to be somewhere between seven and eight hours. Uh, and you know, you set your bedtime at a time that is, let's say, seven and a half hours before your required wake up time, your life will just be completely different. Like for starters, you won't constantly be working off a sleep debt, which is what happens. Most people have a very strong uh, sort of set point for, for their sleep. Um, I know from tracking my time that mine is 7.4 hours per day. Like, what do you use for that? I, I, it's writing it down. Um, so it's writing probably it a little off because there's probably some, yeah. you know, non REM sleep or, you know, I didn't yeah. notice exactly when I fell asleep, but it's, but it's pretty close. And I can see this. Like, if I don't have a sleep debt, I go to bed at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. I wake up on my own at 624 on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is very strong, mm -hmm. but. You know, most of the time people have some sort of sleep debt or, you know, during the week they build up and then they start crashing. Um, and so they, their bodies get back to the average, but they've mm -hmm. undershot and overshot in a way that makes it very hard to, you know, feel good and to feel like they have good rhythms. Whereas if you get the same amount of sleep pretty much every night, like you're more in control of your time, like you have mm -hmm. more energy and you know what a day looks like. Like for me mm -hmm. uh, on a weekday, it goes from 6.30 a.m., to 11 p.m. Like, that is the day. Most people know when a day hours. starts. Those are the hours. Yeah, yeah. People, people know when their day starts. We're a little fuzzier on the notion that a day has an end, mm -hmm. but it does. Like, it does have an end. <laughs> and if mm -hmm. you give yeah. it a specific end, then you can start making rational choices of what you want to do within, you know, those waking hours, whatever those happen to be, you know, somewhere between 16 and 17 waking hours for you. So give yourself a bedtime. Um, it completely changes your your energy and your ability to be in control of where your hours go. What, uh, what do you think prevents people from giving themselves a bedtime? Well, it's a couple of things. I mean, one is, you know, going to bed at a certain time requires a bit of discipline at a moment when many of us are just depleted. Uh, you know, it's it, our, our discipline uh, yeah. can kind of go away from us at the end of the day. You think about like, mm -hmm. when are people eating that pint of Haagen-Dazs? It's not 6 a.m. in the morning. It's it's like 11 p.m. at night, right? Yeah, yeah if it's 6 a.m., there's other, there's there's other, other things stuff going, going on. on. Or, you know, it's you start scrolling around on social media. It's the only time some people say it's the only time I really have to myself. You know, I've got work all day, then I've got my family. This is the time that everyone's asleep. Now I can do my own thing. And, you know, you don't want to put that you don't want to put an end to it. Like it, it feels good mm. to have that leisure time. But you know, the good news is I, I promise if people do follow the rules in the tranquility by Tuesday book, you will have lots more leisure time at other points in your mm. schedule. You will feel better about that leisure time you do have. It'll be more noticeable. Um, mm. It'll be more memorable. And, and so you'll feel a little bit less like you're totally cheated out of your time if you go to bed on time. Um, and, and so I think those are the various things that happen. But you know, if, if you're not sure, if you're not convinced, like try it for a week. 
see how it goes. And if you're feeling better about life and like you can make better choices and like you can have more fun during the day because you're not either crashing or feeling sleep deprived, uh, then maybe it's worth a shot. Do more of that. If it works, do, do more of that. If it doesn't do something else on the flip side, mornings, a lot of people talk about, write about, put whole books about morning routines. What's your, what's your opinion on a morning routine? I have in fact written those books. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think morning routines are great. Um, I, I would say, you know, again, with this, who are we taking advice from? We need to be careful about taking our advice on morning routines from whatever that CEO who is sleeping four hours a night, or let's say somebody who doesn't have four toddlers, if you are somebody who had four toddlers, right? Like you, it, your lives are completely different. And what you're going to be able to do in the morning is not going to be the same. Um, I think that for many people who are in the busy years of building a career, raising a family, we're better off focusing on sort of these bite-sized morning routines. Like what are a couple things you can do, just short little things mm -hmm. that you can do repeatedly in your life, ideally in the morning, um, to move you forward on your goals? And I would say it should be more of a morning checklist versus a routine necessarily, because what mm -hmm. happens is if people are like, well, I have to do my routine from 6 to 6.30. And then what happens if you are traveling for work? What happens if your baby wakes up unexpectedly at a certain time? You know, you didn't sleep the night before. If it has to be a certain time, it's harder to stick with. If it's a checklist that you are moving through every day, a little more flexibility. Um, might take a little bit more discipline mm -hmm. to stick with because it's less automatic. But on the other hand, you know, if it happens... <laughs> then then that's yeah. a better thing than not happening. Um, so uh, yeah, these, these days I, I do a couple of things in mostly the morning. Um, I'm reading through all the works of Shakespeare this year, which involves- That's one of your big goals yeah, for the year. Yeah, it's one of my big goals for the year. Wow. But all it takes is three pages in my Shakespeare compilation each morning. And mm -hmm. so that is very doable. It only takes yeah. me about 10 minutes. Um, and I don't do it at a set time. I just do it at some point early in the day. Um, but because of that, I've been able to stick with it. So think about things like that. What could you do in 10 minutes that would move you forward to your goals? What are your, that, that makes me curious. What are your other goals? So 2022, the ones that you're cool sharing. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of the ones that involve like very frequent stuff, um, you know, I'm reading through all the works of Shakespeare, which is a major mm -hmm. one. I do a little bit of free writing every day as part of my morning routine um, that I like artist pages, morning sort of. pages. I, I, it's, this year I'm, I'm saying I write between 100 and 200 words each day. And it is tracing one person through the course of a day. So over the course of a year, it is one person's day, sort of like, I don't know, Ulysses, I guess, if you would think about you know, one person in the course of the day, but I'm doing 365 entries that will take this mm -hmm. person through a day. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but yeah. I haven't run out of anything to put this person through yet. <laughs> so, um, and that was just a creative exercise yeah, you wanted just, to do. We're, we're at about, you know, what is it? Almost, I, we're recording this in late August. I'm at about, yeah. you know, 6.30 in the day. <laughs> So we'll see if okay. it's if it's timed right to get us through to, yeah. to bedtime. Um, but uh, yeah, that's another one I'm doing. Okay, so what what about financial? What about health? Like the other big categories of life, what are some other goals? So um, I'm currently training for a half marathon. Um, I have mm -hmm. you asked about productivity things you've done in the past that may not have worked. I I did run a marathon once. Um, I think once is enough. 
I mm-hmm. don't have a huge desire to do multiple marathons. Um, it's just a lot harder to fit into normal life to yeah. train for that than it is to mm-hmm. train for a half marathon where you can kind of top out at about two hours of, of tr- as a training run as opposed to like four hours, which is yeah. just, it's, it's harder. <laughs> it's just harder to yeah. fit in. Um, and so to, to do that, I do at least one long run a week and then do two to three mm-hmm. other shorter runs during the week and um, have been mostly sticking with that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to, I tried to do um, a daily running streak. Um, I've done lots of different productivity things. So I did a streak of running for, uh, it was a little over three years that I stuck with oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool. I liked it. Um, but, you know, all things end. <laughs> On the day it ended, were you like, we're out? Or was it, um, you forgot to do it? No, like, I, what was I, the last day like? I gave birth. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. You know what? That'll do it. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. That's I, I, I sort of, you know, it's funny because I've been bringing my community along on this whole experience of doing this. And, sure. and when I announced I was pregnant, um, that was actually one of the first questions I got from so many uh, people. It's like, is that going to end the running streak? And I, like, well, I made it through to the end. And then I was like, yeah, I wasn't going to try and like run laps in the hospital or anything. So that was the end of it. People do that. Though. I'm sure I've they do. People. More power to them. <laughs> Yeah, that that is intense. That is very intense. Okay, so the next rule I want to talk about, uh, I actually cheered when I saw this one because I thought it was so good. Number four, three times a week is a habit. And that's funny you mentioned the streaking thing because I think that sometimes we have really rigid definitions of what counts, what doesn't count, and we kind of box ourselves into corners where we don't really get to establish some long-term success. Um you said, you know, kind of talking about, well, three times a week is a habit. That's so different from other definitions. Explain what you mean by that. Yeah, well, there's various things that people want to do in their lives, right? that they have mm-hmm. goals to do, whether it's exercising or, you know, playing a musical instrument or, um, you know, reading s- sacred texts or having family dinner, all these things that we know are good things that we would like to do more mm-hmm. often. And life gets busy. And for whatever, you know, we can't do it every single day. And people just feel defeated. They're like, I, I can't do it. You know, that's for other people. This, I'm too busy. I'm, you know, not able to do these things I want to do. I'm a failure. And I say, well, okay, daily's great for some things. You know, we should brush our teeth daily. Um, yeah. But a lot of habits actually don't have to happen daily in order to count in our lives. I see this all the time because people want to tell me about their great daily habits. Uh, you know, there are various people who want to, share their great daily habits with me over the years. And I get to talking with them and I find out that they often mean they do this habit Monday through Friday, which I would point out is not daily. (laughs) That is is five times a week, right? And you know, if that person skips vacations, if they sometimes don't do Friday, because that's not in the Monday, you know, that's not Mm -hmm. in the daily category. You know, we're we're talking like three or four times a week and they're calling it daily. So like, let's just say that three to four times a week is a good amount. Like, I think most things, if you do it three times a week, you can say it as part of your identity. So if you mm. practice the guitar three times a week, you are a guitar player. Um, if you have family meals three times a week, you are a family that eats together. And the good news about this is often when people track their time or study how they're spending their time in general, they note that they are doing these things some, they are just doing them not as much as they want. But there's a very big difference between none and not as much as I want. None is defeatist, but not as much as I want. It's like, well, how can I just scale this up? 
And three yeah. is a very doable number. Like you see that you're eating family dinners twice a week. It's like, okay, instead of saying, oh, life is crazy, terrible. We can't be that kind of family. You say, well, could we do one more family meal together? Could we? Well, probably can. Let's all have pancakes together on Saturday morning. And all of a sudden, you can have this identity. You are a family that eats together. Um, and I found that, you know, people find this incredibly motivational um, and often life changing. Uh, just, you know, to let go of this idea of daily and to say that a couple times a week frequently can happen, always can't. So let's set our sights on frequently and do this thing that is life affirming to us as opposed to just assuming it can't happen. Well, what I love about that is that there's kindness there because I see so, so often people who get into goals or performance or whatever eventually have a hard time not beating themselves up when they don't hit the standard. What do you tell somebody who is in that spot where like a goal started off as good and maybe they were going to run something and they're still running. They, they stopped loving running like nine months ago, but they don't want to disappoint themselves, I guess, or other people. What do you say to somebody who at, in the context of the goals they're working on is beating themselves up? Well, I mean, I think if you're worried about disappointing other people, I mean, most of the time, other people really don't care that much. I mean, everyone no. lives in their own little world. So if you think other people are noticing and judging, like, I, I would let go of that thought right now. Um, you know, how much are you thinking about other people's little goals and habits? Very like, little. Very little. I'm very selfish. Like, it just does not selfish. pass through our brains. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a little bit of thought will tell us that probably that's how other people feel about us. So um, I would let that one go. I think, you know, is there a way you can modify it? Um, if people are having trouble letting go of something, you know, they might be able to modify it in a way. So that would allow for a little more grace in, in the habit. So, you know, something that people might say is like, instead of running a mile a day with a streak, can I make sure I run 31 miles a month. Well, hmm. sure. And that's often a lot sure. easier to do, right? Um, and so they might sort of transition the goal that way, um, you know, or, or even do a, a pause, try a pause for a while. One of the best concepts I've been hearing of recently, that if anyone who does Duolingo learning a foreign language, they have something hmm. called the streak freeze, which is just a hilarious concept because an actual streak there wouldn't be a freeze. Like you need to keep doing something yeah. daily, but why not? Why not a streak freeze? Like, yes, I do it oh, every day, great. except I just paused for three because why not? <laughs> but we yeah, can, and that's a feature. It's a feature. It's a feature. So, yeah. you know, you could have yourself a streak freeze in, in whatever it is you're doing. Oh, that's good. I hadn't heard that. That's really, that's really wise. Last, last rule that I thought was really fascinating was batch the little things. And you've touched on it a little bit here, but how would somebody that's listening batch the little things in their life? Yeah, so we all wind up with these small tasks um, that are not necessarily the most important things that we have to do, but mm -hmm. they do have to get done. And, you know, you can be a genius at outsourcing whatever you can, but like some of the stuff, it's still going to be hard to get off your plate into every life a little bit of administration and, and various household things must fall. And so, you know, people can complain about that a lot. And there's certainly, you know, many things written about mental load and who bears what share of all that. And that's all very mm -hmm. important. But I think we can all try to minimize the amount that we are walking around with constantly by designating a time to deal with a lot of that stuff. So anything that is not urgent, I try to push mm. to one window on Friday. Like that's when I pay bills. I fill out permission slips. I, you know, answer invitations for things that aren't urgent. I, um, 
you know, send a couple of emails that I need to send that aren't urgent. You know, it's just, I bat, I keep a list, like a running Friday punch list of all this stuff that is not urgent, but does need to get done. And I tackle it at sort of one lower energy time on Friday. And this does two things. I mean, one, you know, if I feel guilty about the fact like, oh, you know, there's this permission slip. I have to fill out all these permissions. It's like, no, there's a time for that. Friday. I will do it on Friday. I don't have to think. And you can tell that guilt. Hey, I'll talk to you Friday. Yeah, I'll talk like, to you Friday. Yeah, we got to. I'll talk to you Friday. I'll deal with that thing Friday. I've got a yeah. time on Friday. That's yeah. going to get done then. Um, but I think, it, especially for people who do need to do any sort of focused or creative work, many of these small things are excellent opportunities for procrastination, right? Like yeah. we, like oh, I was going to wrestle with what I should be writing in this book, but I have to fill out that permission slip, and next yeah. thing you know, you've taken yourself away from it from something that has to be done, but the truth is it didn't need to be done right then. And so if we tell ourselves, actually, there is a time for that, now is not that time, then we remove some of those easy distractions. Um, Because, you know, we all like to cross things off a list and write a chapter in your book is a hard and difficult thing, right? Whereas buy a birthday present for this birthday that's coming in a week is not a hard and difficult thing and it will be done. Like when you do it, it's going to be done. It's going to feel very satisfying to have done it. And so we often try to give ourselves over to that easy satisfaction as opposed to wrestling with the harder things. So this is one way to kind of take a little bit of those, you know, easy wins away. So you struggle with the harder stuff. And if you can't wait till Friday, that's fine. But like, do it at one block in mid afternoon or something, just, you know, any time that's not your peak time, and that you can do it all at once um, is better than having it, you know, go in and out of it throughout the day. Yeah, like an IV drip. I always think about that metaphor, like a constant IV drip of email is distracting to me. If I wait to do X amount, and I'm not a doctor, like no one, no one's life is being saved by my prompt email response. Like I don't sleep on them, but I'm also not, okay, I have to respond in two seconds. I'm curious, so you're you're super specific, super um, in tune with goals. A counselor recently asked me, like, how do you not... um, like lose kindness for other people who aren't running at the same speed. So he was essentially going, how do you, like when you're in the zone, when you're moving quickly, when you're working on being high performance, how do you not roll all over your kids or roll all over a spouse? So for you, what are some ways that you've been able to say, okay, I like to know my hours, I like to do my thing, but when it comes time to my kids or it comes time to my marriage or other parts of my life that don't run on that same schedule or don't offer me the same type of goal control, how have you balanced that? Yeah, well, I mean, I have this line that I like to repeat, which is that people are a good use of time. And <laughs> oh, come on. That's so good. That feels so foreign to me sometimes. Like you just said something in Swahili. Like I'm writing that I know. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Dang. Well, I mean, so you know, and it's generally true um, oh. that uh, people are not always efficient. Um, but they're so messy, messy, they're they're complicated, but you know, ultimately they're good uses of time and, and certainly a better use than probably getting to inbox zero or whatever else it was that you were, you were planning to do. So, um, that doesn't mean that you should, you know, for anyone put up with sort of things that are 
disrespectful. We certainly have rules of like, I have a big sign on my door right now that says recording and mommy is not to be interrupted um, oh, yeah. when the, the big recording sign is, is there. Um, but, you know, that is also balanced with that if I need focused hours to work, I also need to spend interactive time with my kids and thinking about what would be good for me to enter their world. Like, how can I make sure that I am spending time with them and making that a goal and a priority. And, yeah. you know, among the things we do every summer, I try to do um, what I call mommy days with each of the kids. Like I do something that the kid really wants to do one-on-one with them. Um, and, you know, that could be, wind up being a big relationship priority for the week that I do it and make sure it happens. And if something's going to come up to that might possibly move it, I would schedule a backup spot because it's important. So that's uh, generally what I try to do. So that's a specific thing you can do mm-hmm. to work on that. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it's funny. I just sent a text to my wife and said, is the laundry on? Because when the laundry is going, it shakes our whole house. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure the camera is shaking. And it was so, <laughs> so apt. That's quite the like, spin cycle there. That's yeah, <laughs> like it was bouncing. I was like, oh, I think the, and so that's what, when you office out of the same house, I'll say, hey, we have some podcasts today. Uh, this division has some podcasts. And she's like, well, this division has some laundry we're working on. So we have to come to a compromise. Or maybe you need um, you need some sort of like platform under the machine that uh, is absorbing, I don't know. I, something. We've got to, we've got, well, and I'll just have to call somebody who's actually good at that and be like some handyman and be like, this is the most specific problem during podcasts, the video bounces, and I'm sure he'll go, oh, okay, let me fix let me your fix podcast it. I'm sure problem. there's a fix. I'm sure there's a fix. Yeah, there is a fix. There's always a fix. Okay, last three questions. What are your tools of the trade? Like, I love a certain notebook I use all the time. I love a white – I have a whiteboard in my office. That's one of the things I use. What are some of your kind of productivity tools of the trade? Um, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets. I know that makes me fa- sound like all kinds of fun, um, but oh, yeah. I track my time. Like Excel? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, well, I was using um, the Apple version of it, which is numbers yeah. or whatever, because I have a, okay. a, a Mac. But it was uh, I've been tracking my time on weekly spreadsheets for seven and a half years now, um, oh. which is I just have a spreadsheet that's got 168 hours on it. It goes from 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m., days of the week across mm-hmm. the top, Monday to Sunday. So 336 blocks representing 168 hours of the week. And I fill it in. Um, and How many, how small are the blocks? Are they half hour increments? Yeah, half hour increments. Okay. Yeah, because you don't, you wouldn't get to like, well, I talked to my kid for seven minutes just no, now. No, there's always cereal. a balance between comprehensiveness and detail. And so I have made my trade off at 30 minute blocks. I don't, if I'm doing more than one thing during the 30 minutes, I'll put a comma or a slash um, you know, but often I, I will just put something like work that occupies the 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. So that's one. What's another tool of the trade? Mm. So I have a, um, paper calendar and I generally don't really use electronic calendars. I mean, people send me invitations and I hit accept and it goes somewhere, but I don't really look at that until I need the link for whatever it is that mm-hmm. I'm doing. Um, I, I like having a paper calendar and I know that Many people would find that crazy and can't do it in a multi-person company, but I guess one of the benefits of self-employment is that I can. Um, And I like it because it shows me if a day is getting too busy and it shows me when a day is open that I can just like keep it nice and pristine, (laughs) like not schedule anything. That's, you know, once, once a day is blank, the the motivation to keep that white space is, is quite uh, profound in a way that I'm not sure I would feel the same way on like a, a, a computer screen. 
I, I love, I'm a paper person too. It's all my notebooks. Like, that's where I write my ideas. Cause I always say like my notebook doesn't have Netflix. Like it it's doesn't true. have Instagram. That's very hard um, to get distracted in a notebook. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Last two questions. What's on your Mount Rushmore of self-help nonfiction productivity books minus your own? What are like the four or if it's easier to answer the question, what book have you given away more than any other book other than your own? Well, one book I, I have come back to multiple times and I find interesting to read, um, you know, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And I it came out in 1990, which is like a lifetime ago in terms of mm-hmm. just whatever, what exists in terms of things that would distract us and things that would, um, you know, most people didn't have email in 1990, like some mm-hmm. academics and government, but like most people did not have access to email in 1990. And so I've reread the book recently too. If say like, well, does it still you know feel relevant? I remember it feeling relevant like when I read it for the first time twenty years ago. But is it still relevant now? And I think it is. You know, it's he's talking about us spending time on things that are urgent but not important. And it was like dithering around with the actual mail pile, <laughs> but yeah. it's still people have always manage to waste time. We wasted time on other things. But I think that's a good reminder whenever you get somebody like waxing eloquent about how everything was different before smartphones. You know, people still wasted time. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell yourself anything else. Um, we, we can waste time now. We can waste time then. We might waste time in different ways. Um, but the fundamental nature of there being this amount of time, which is a lot of time, but we still have to make choices and we're best off making choices that align with our priorities and our values is, is just fundamentally still true. So that's one you still come back to. And then last question, this one's an easy one. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so you can come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com, just my name. Um, if you are, you know, since you're listening to this, you might be interested in podcasts. And if you have listened to everything John has ever done and you're looking for more um, things to fill the space in your time, you can listen to uh, Before Breakfast, which is a short every weekday morning tip that will take your day, ideally, from great to awesome. Um, or Best of Both Worlds, which I co-host with Sarah Hart Unger. We have new episodes every Tuesday where we talk about work and family from the perspective of people who really enjoy both. Um, so we are always talking about those topics and love connecting with listeners as well. I love that. I hope people notice she didn't say it's a daily five-day-a-week podcast. I said podcast. every weekday she morning. Every, not, every weekday morning. Well, we run yeah. reruns on weekends, so I guess in that sense it is daily, but I'm not, <laughs> but now I'm not you, creating new content every single day. Yeah, you were very specific about that. I, I love that. You were saying what you had said earlier. That's that's fantastic. Well, Laura, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Thank you for writing books that are really fun, super readable. Again, I love the title of this one. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are going to say, I'd like more tranquility. It feels like that's something we're short on. Um, and I like that when you write, you often take big, complicated, seemingly complicated topics and you break them down in simple practical ways you can actually use on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday. And I've, I've always appreciated that about your writing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Laura Vanderkam. We'll put all the show notes and the links and everything together so you've got it all in one spot, one little package, if you will. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you leave are super encouraging, super helpful, and super informative. I've said it before, when you do a podcast, it's kind of isolated. Um, there's no crowd feedback, like in a live experience. But when you guys write a review, I get to see what's working, and that's super helpful. So please make sure you keep those reviews coming. 
follow, subscribe, like, whatever it is the kids are saying these days. I'll be back next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. And don't forget to pick up your copy of the Finnish calendar. Brand new, massive, beautiful, double-sided, vertically or horizontally, paper or dry erase at finishcalendar.com. Once again, that's finishcalendar.com. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.